You're listening to Grace Seal Beach Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, go to gracesealbeach.org. Good morning. We start a new series today called What the Gospel Does. There's an outline in your bulletin if uh, that would help you follow along. It's uh, four messages starting today to show the movement and the power, the intention of the gospel. And here's the four messages. The gospel comes to us. The gospel changes us. The gospel brings us in. The gospel sends us out. Let's all do the hand motions together. The gospel comes to us. The gospel changes us. The gospel brings us in to the church family. The gospel sends us out on mission. So it comes to us, changes us, brings us in, sends us out. Before we get into this, uh, before we can appreciate what the gospel does, we need to understand one very important thing, and that's what the gospel is. You know, there's a lot of things in life, a lot of things we experience, but we don't understand them. We might know about them. Uh, We might use them even, but our understanding is lacking. There's a lot of ignorance. I appreciate the author of Proverbs 30 who said, there's three things too wonderful for me, four I do not understand. I, uh, for me, there's three things that came to mind that I don't understand. There's a whole lot more, but these three for you all this morning. First, I don't understand the cloud. Anyone? Where is it? I upload files. I think I send pictures to it. I use it. I don't understand it. All right. Cryptocurrency? I hear about it all the time. Is it a sham? Is it the future? I don't know. You're a millionaire one minute and then you're broke. NFTs, non-fungible tokens? Ignorance, ignorance. I don't get it. I don't understand. Finally, what I don't understand? Women. I'm not going to elaborate because I would just get in trouble. There are things I do not understand. Some things are less important to understand. Some things are more important to understand. The cloud and cryptocurrency. For me today, I don't care. I don't need to understand them at all. Women, more important for me to understand, especially those closest to me. But there's one thing among all things that is paramount, ultimate This is what we need to understand. It's of ultimate importance. We need to know. not, Not perfectly, but truly, we need to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I'm unclear on the cloud or a cryptocurrency, I'm just your average person, right? If I'm unclear on women, I'm just your typical man. If I'm unclear on the gospel, there's just a lot more at stake, isn't there? If we're unclear on what the gospel is, it won't be all that helpful to talk about what the gospel does. So first, what is the gospel? Well, if we're looking for the Bible to give us a definition, uh, we probably won't get any better than what we heard read, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5. Uh, You can follow along. I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase. You can follow along in whatever Bible you brought or downloaded on your phone. The late Eugene Peterson puts it this way, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Friends, let me go over the message, the gospel, with you one final time. 
This message that I proclaimed and that you made your own, the message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy, that you're in this for good and holding fast. Verse 3, the first thing I did, Paul says, was place before you what was so emphatically placed before me. So he's got this tradition that he's received. Paul didn't write the gospel. Paul didn't found Christianity. He's received this tradition. He's a messenger. He's passing it along. And the message is this, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as the scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day, again, exactly as the scripture says, and that he presented himself alive. So before there was a New Testament, before the apostles began writing their letters to the churches, before the gospels were written, some 30 or 40 years before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there was already the gospel. Many scholars believe that verses three to five is what followers of Jesus were saying very soon after he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. He died, he was buried, he was raised, all according to the scriptures, and he appeared alive afterwards. The good news could not be contained. The word spread. It didn't wait for a scribe to write it down and send it out. What had happened was talked about immediately. Kind of gospel gossip, which is the good kind of gossip. Did you hear about Jesus? That he died and, and three days later he appeared to Peter? Did you know that? Did you hear the whole Cohen family saw him, all 24 of them? It's incredible, isn't it? People would hear, and then they would tell others what they heard, and then they would tell others. The word spread. This is what the, the early church preached, the, the first Christians. It's what filled them with hope and joy. It's what gave them the, the power to live despite the challenges they faced. Verses 3 to 5 is the New Testament's best shot at giving a plain answer to the question, what is the gospel, it's not for spiritual laws, it's for events or scenes from the life of Jesus. He died, he was buried, he was raised, he appeared. And don't miss the phrase, in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, the scriptures here refer to the, what we call the Old Testament. That's the only scriptures they had, the Hebrew Bible. It was in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. In other words, hundreds and even thousands of years before Jesus was born, news about him was being broadcast. It was being prophesied. It was being prefigured. This means that the coming of Jesus, when he came in history, it already had a context. He didn't just pop into God's story do some amazing things disconnected from everything and everyone that came before him and then leave until his encore. No, he came to fulfill or to finish or complete what was lacking in Israel's obedience to God. He came to turn tragedy into victory, to make their horror story, all of humanity's horror story, into a saving one instead. I don't think Paul, by using this, uh, this phrase twice in accordance with the scriptures, that he had in mind just a few prophecies or an isolated shadow of Jesus. I think he uses this phrase to highlight that Jesus is what the whole Old Testament story is about. Paul is saying 
that Jesus is the grand theme of all of God's revelation. It all points to him. Maybe you know Isaiah 53, like a lamb to the slaughter. He, he didn't say a word. We, we read Isaiah 53 and we think, well, yeah, we can see a lot of Jesus in that. Isaiah 53 points to Jesus. Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist does. We hear Jesus from the cross saying the same words and we think, okay, Psalm 22, that clearly points to Jesus. We get that. But the whole thing, all of it points to Jesus? Yes. The whole sacrificial system points to Jesus, right? Read the book of Hebrews sometime. The tabernacle, the temple, all the prophets, all the priests, all the kings, the good prophets, priests, and kings are a dim image of the Messiah to come. The bad prophets, priests, and kings are the reason we need another one, a better one. The whole story, all of God's revelation, your whole Bible, no matter where you're reading, it all points to Jesus. It either points forward to him or points back to him, but it's all about him. Jesus, who didn't come on the scene to do his own thing, some brand new thing, Jesus, who came to redeem the old thing, the messed up thing that started off great but got wrecked by our sin. That's his ministry. Adam and Eve in the garden, all the way back at the beginning with God, it was paradise. Those are God's people in God's place under God's rule. That was the original design. That's what we were created for. That's where we all need to be. But because of sin, and the devastating effects it has had on us and everything, we can never get there, friends, not without help. Enter Jesus. He's the help we need. In the ministry of Jesus, we don't see a scrapping of everything that came before. In the ministry of Jesus, we see a redeeming, a repairing, a restoring Jesus undoes what sin has done, what we have done. He reaches all the way back, back to Adam and Eve where sin entered in, and he makes that ruined story a redemption story for us, and that's good news. How does he do that? By his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. And if anyone has received this gospel If anyone's standing in it, holding fast to it, then your sin has been forgiven. Then death for you has been defeated. And a home with God, like the one Adam and Eve had, it's purchased, it's waiting, and one day it's going to come down from heaven, the new Jerusalem, and God will be with his people and his people will be with him are you longing for that day? Are you longing for his appearing? Amen. Or are you just living for this day? Just hanging out. Right? The long-awaited Messiah, the world's true king, Jesus has come and has succeeded where Adam and Israel and you and me have failed. And so we can be confident, even when we don't see it, that the gospel is at work, that good things are happening, that God's things are happening. So much more could be said about what the gospel is, the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, new life, new creation, righteousness. But we need to move on, or we'll be here all morning, to what the gospel 
does, what the gospel does. Again, in your bulletin, if, if I didn't mention that already. First part of four, next four weeks, it comes to us. That's what we're going to see today. The gospel comes to us. It comes to us as news. That's the first thing I want to say. Afterward, the gospel, that word means good news. What is news? News is the report of something that has already happened. If someone says, did you hear the news? They're going to tell you about some event, some decision, whatever it might be, something that has already happened. In the same way, the gospel is good news about something that has already happened. Luke 2, verse 10, an angel of the Lord appears to shepherds and says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. And here's the news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the good news the angel brings is the announcement to these shepherds that something has already happened. Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, he has been born. Now go and see. So when Paul and the disciples preach the gospel, it's always a report of something that has happened. They're telling the story of Jesus. Why is this important? To understand that it's news that we report something's already happened because of what we people try to do with the gospel, the way we try to tweak the gospel. Uh, sometimes we kind of think about the gospel as advice, like we imagine God saying, okay, here's, how, here, here's what you should do. That's not the gospel. Uh, the gospel is not a proposition God makes with us, certain versions of it. Can I interest you in a very prosperous life, free from suffering, sickness, poverty, and depression, all abundance? No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not God's request for help. Maybe you've heard this before. God needs you. It's, it's a lie. It's a lie. He uses you. He delights in you. He loves you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. You know, God, there's a pretty big project I've uh, been thinking about. I could use someone like you. The gospel is not about what we've done or might do or could do. It's about what Jesus has done already. The gospel is news about Jesus. It's not about us. It's for us in so many ways, but it's not about us. So we didn't contribute to the gospel at all. Not only did we not contribute to it, we couldn't have contributed to it because apart from God, we're described as blind, deaf, lost, dead. Even if we could have contributed to it, which we couldn't, but let's just hypothetically go there with me for one moment, say we could have contributed to it. Could you imagine the mess we would have made if we got to co-author the story of redemption with God? Have you ever overstepped your skill set? gotten in under, you know, underwater, any make-believe plumbers or auto mechanics in the house, anyone that thought they were going to counsel their friend in crisis only to realize they were in way over their head. Uh, if you're young enough to, uh, well, if you're old enough to appreciate this, I'll just, I don't know, let me just get into it. In the olden days, young people, there were devices on the back of your TV that you could switch between the VCR, and if you don't know what that is, I'll talk to you on the patio, and the television. You'd have to switch back and forth, this little switch box. And uh, ours wasn't working in the apartment Julie and I lived in, my wife. And so I went to the store and I bought another one and I hooked them up and I had two of them. 
And then that wasn't working, so I figured I need a third one. So I, I found a clerk who I didn't check out from the last time because I felt ridiculous. I got a third one. Julie claims there were eight of them, like an octopus. It did look like a little DNA model on the back of the television. Still not working. My point is us humans need help with even the simplest things. If you're dealing with something complex, you need an expert. But if you're talking about the redemption of mankind, only God is up to that task. The gospel is news of what has been accomplished by God. It's not advice. It's not a proposition God pitches to us. It's not a request for help. It's news. Imagine it's September 11th, 2001, and early morning Manhattan, you get a call from your neighbor who tells you the news that a plane has hit one of the, the Twin Towers. You hear what has happened, but you didn't have anything to do with that. You heard the report, the news. But now hearing what has already happened, because of its importance, you respond to that. You didn't have anything to do with it, but now it has everything to do with you. In a similar manner, we have nothing to do with the gospel. We didn't craft it. We didn't contribute to it. God didn't solicit our input for it. But because of the gravity of the news, because of the, the breadth and the importance of what has happened, it has everything to do with us. Does that make sense? So the gospel, it comes to us as news, an announcement of something that has happened already. Also, we read, it comes to us as a gift. Why is it important we understand this? Because you don't earn a gift. Do you know what it's called when you earn something? Salary, wages, maybe allowance if you were lucky to grow up with parents that paid you to do what you should do anyway just for being grateful to live in their house. That wasn't in my notes. So it was. <laughs> Our tendency as humans is to want to earn things, isn't it? We want to take credit for things. Why is that? So we can have a say in how we use it, or maybe so that we can boast about it. My intelligence got me this far. My drive pushed this project through. I made this money. I'll decide how to spend it. I contributed. I earned. I did something. Right? Me, me, me. I did all this. With regard to the gospel, no, you didn't. When it comes to the gospel, none of us can take credit. It comes as a gift. The Bible says that God is a giver of gifts, the gift of life, the gift of his grace, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the paramount, the, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, the best gift of all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The gospel is a free Gift And the same one who wrote 1 Corinthians 15 wrote Ephesians 2, where Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. If it was free and not earned, we can't claim our rights, right? A pastor tells a story of a woman who comes to his church. She had gone to church her whole life but had never heard the difference between the gospel, which is you're saved by God's grace through Jesus, what he's done, and religion, which is you're saved through your own moral effort, through being a good person. She'd always only heard that God will save you if you're good enough. 
And so she said this new message, this gospel she heard from this pastor, it was scary. I think we can understand that. He asked her, why is it scary? And she said, if I was saved by my good works, there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. That makes sense, right? But if I'm a sinner saved by sheer grace, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. See, if salvation is earned through our moral effort, through being a good person, then like a taxpayer, we'd get to vote on how those taxes are used. We'd have some rights we could claim. But if salvation is by the grace of God alone, if it's a gift, if we didn't earn it, if we can't boast about it, then we have no rights. We have to confess he is the potter and I am the clay. This woman understood this. If it's by sheer grace and not my works, there's nothing he cannot ask of me. That's what it means to be a servant of God. That's what it means to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He is master. He's our master, and therefore, there's nothing we can rightfully withhold from him. But good news, friends, Jesus, our Lord, our master, he is good. He loves us. And whatever he asks, even when it's difficult, is ultimately for our good. It's from his good heart for us. The truth is, no one ever cared for you like Jesus. Will we always understand what he calls us to in this life? Will we always understand what his care includes? No. Can we always trust him nonetheless? Yes. Yes. Yes, the gospel, it comes to us as news, it comes to us as a gift, and finally, just plainly to say it, it comes to us. It comes to us. We didn't go looking for it. I mentioned some metaphors that have to do with our condition apart from God, blind, deaf, lost, dead. Each of those is slightly different. They convey something, a different angle on something, but they all point to our inability to do for ourselves what needed to be done. We would never, could never initiate a relationship with God. Jesus is the one who seeks. We love him, 1 John 4, because he first loved us. God, out of his love and mercy and kindness, he looks down and he sees us like fumbling around in the dark and making a mess of things, and he has compassion on us. He sends help. God sends his word to rescue us. Two ways he sends his word. God first sent his word in history. We call that the incarnation. The word incarnation describes God becoming a man. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us. God came to us as a, a full human being, kneecaps, saliva glands, difficult days, weary feet, Jewish, first century. That's when he lived. A real person in real time sent from God to save us from our sins. How did he do that? By his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. That's how. He was made like us to save us. So God sent his word, Jesus, one time in history. That's called the incarnation. 
But God continues to send his word every time the gospel is preached. Two points I want to make here about the preaching of the gospel. First, the gospel is a word to be preached. Someone has once said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. The idea behind the quote is a good one. It is. We ought to live out our faith. That's a good thing, right? It falls short because the means by which the Christian faith spreads is the telling of what Jesus has done. Hopefully, we're living lives in such a way that uh, it's a good testimony to others. That's really important. But that in itself is not sufficient to bring people to the faith. People need to hear the gospel with their ears, whether it's from your mouth or mine. Jesus didn't say, I must go to other towns to live out the gospel before them, but to what? To preach the gospel, because that's why I came. Paul doesn't say to Timothy in his dying days, live the gospel. He wants Timothy to live the gospel. He expects Timothy to live the gospel, but he says to him, preach the gospel. The gospel is news and news must be told. And it's really important. It really is that our, our lives don't cancel out what our mouths say. That's really important to have integrity. But it's not our story that we want to commend to others. It's the story of Jesus. That's why our preaching or sharing the gospel with others is so important. Our lives do matter, but no one is saved by your life. No one is saved by my life. Jesus saves. The gospel must be preached. The gospel is a word to be preached. And let's not miss this. Preaching the gospel is preaching Jesus. When I say that the gospel does certain things throughout the series, I want you to hear at the same time, Jesus does those things. The gospel comes to us. Jesus comes to us. The gospel changes us. Jesus changes us. The gospel brings us in. Jesus is the one who brings us in. The gospel sends us out. Jesus sends us out on mission. We can't separate the good news about Jesus from the person of Jesus. Where the gospel of Jesus is preached, sorry, where the gospel is truly preached, Jesus is preached. If Jesus, who he is and what he's done, is not at the heart of our message, then people might benefit in some ways to help them navigate life better. But, but the greatest need will go unmet. People need Jesus. And when the gospel is preached, Jesus is present in an amazing, miraculous way, but truly present. This makes our telling the story of Jesus, our preaching of him, different than, than any other telling of any other story. If you go to Barnes & Noble at the Marina Pacifica, and there's someone there who wrote a, a book about the Civil War, and they're having a, the author's doing a reading and uh, people get to hear, and maybe even firsthand accounts of the letters that were written from soldiers back home and what happened. It might be really interesting. It might give you a sense of the people that you're experiencing. But those soldiers he's writing about are in no way present when their story is being told. The memory of them, but not in reality. The same cannot be said about Jesus. When the gospel is preached, Jesus himself is present, present to heal, present to save. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in a book on preaching, wrote, the proclaimed word, preaching, is the incarnate Christ himself, the thing itself. 
The preached Christ is both the historical one and the present one. The proclaimed word is not a medium of expression for something else but rather is Christ himself walking through his congregation as the word. When Jesus is preached, Bonhoeffer saying, Jesus is present. The proclaimed word is Christ himself walking through the congregation as the word. Do we have that in our minds when we gather together for worship, that Jesus is here? How incredible that is. He's here now really here, truly here. Who's preaching this week? Who cares? Jesus is present, right? Is there going to be anything on the sanctuary on on the lawn after the service? Yes, there is going to be. For my, that kind of messed it up that there actually is going to be something. (laughs) Because in my notes... I have maybe, but Jesus is on the lawn at 9.30 and in the sanctuary every week at 8 and 11. So come out for him and come out for Jody, but especially come out for him. God sent his word 2,000 years ago when the son of God put on flesh. God continues to send his word every time the gospel is preached. The gospel comes to us. Why does it come to us? Why does Jesus come to us? To change us, to make us new. That's going to be our focus next week. But right now, let me ask you this. Have you received Jesus? Are you standing in God's grace? If so, you probably know it. And if not, you probably know it. And if not, may today be the day for you, the day that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus comes for you to change you, to bring you into his family, and to send you back out with good news in your mouth. Let's pray. Lord, we trust that you will do all your good work in us through our gathering together, through our lifting our our voices to you in song and prayer and in fellowship and in our confession and in, in the hearing of the word. God, that you will change us. You will change our lives. You will save the lost. You will build up the saved. You will humble the proud. You will raise up the the humble. God, wherever we are in relationship to you today, use this word, use this time of gathering as your people to do what we need to be done, what we cannot do on ourselves, but what you can do for us through the gospel of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.